Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to yet again another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, I just hope, first off, I hope y'all had an amazing Thanksgiving week and weekend. I hope y'all watched plenty of football. I hope y'all ate plenty of food. I know myself, I most definitely ate plenty of food and watched plenty of football and just, you know, truly had a great Thanksgiving weekend. And, you know, guys, in today's episode, we're going to be recapping, and it really saddens me to say, the last weekend of college or of regular season college football for the rest of the 2022 year as we will be recapping all of our college football action from week 13 of the 2022 college football season you know we had some big time games go down um, obviously the rivalry game Michigan and Ohio State we had TCU trying to remain undefeated and keep their playoff hopes alive against Iowa State we had Notre Dame and USC which had huge playoff implications and just so many more great rivalry games that we're going to talk about in today's episode so before we do all of that please make sure that you do like comment share rate do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody. And when I mean everybody, I'm talking about you guys, your grandparents, your parents, your sister, your brother, your cousins, your nephews, your nieces, whoever. Make sure to let them know about the Cover 7 podcast so that we can continue to update everybody on anything college football and NFL related. So guys, like I always do say here on the Cover 7 podcast, I do not want to waste y'all's time. I do not want to waste my time either. So let's get right into today's uh, episode. So to kick it all off, and this is the final week of Maction, which does pay me to say we only had one day of Maction during the week, and that would be on Tuesday, as we actually had a doubleheader that had some pretty big implications that would go down in this game. And the first game that we're going to talk about, you know, the winner of this game would actually go to the Bahamas Bowl. So obviously, not the biggest bowl game, but hey, who would not take a free trip down to the Bahamas? So Anyway, the game that I'm talking about to kick us off on Tuesday in our final week of Maction, we had the Ball State Cardinals traveling to Oxford, Ohio to take on the Miami of Ohio Red Hawks. And well, like I talked about a little bit earlier on, this game had major implications. You know, both squads were sitting at five and six going into this game. And, you know, whoever won would go to a bowl game and not just any bowl game, but the Bahamas Bowl, which obviously is you know a pretty fun bowl game to watch but the fact that you're going to be able to take a trip down to the Bahamas is already pretty fun in and of itself and definitely for these northern schools they're going to want to get away from the cold as fast as possible so in this game you know Ball State jumped out to a pretty quick lead I mean it looked like this would be Ball State's game as at halftime the Cardinals would lead the Red Hawks 14 to 3 but Miami of Ohio they would come crawling back in the fourth quarter as they would put up 12 points and, you know, to be honest, truly capitalized on a lot of Ball State just mistakes that they made. And I really think in this game, Ball State, they shot themselves in the foot, and they are the ones that really just, I wouldn't say necessarily Miami of Ohio won this game. They deserve a ton of credit for what they did in the fourth quarter. But watching just Ball State simply crumble throughout the entirety of this game, you have to give your hats off to Miami and their defense for being able to be resilient and to come back as Miami of Ohio. They would go on to beat Ball State. 18 to 17 as Miami of Ohio they now improved to six and six and they're going bowling they're going to the Bahamas so once again Miami of Ohio fans if there's any of y'all out there should be super excited and for Ball State unfortunately their season they now fall to five and says five and seven and their season is now over but the one bright spot that Ball State did have this entire year was their sophomore running back Carson Steele like once again has one of the most amazing stories he has a pet crocodile which it's just cool enough, and then on top of that, his hair, absolutely one of the best hair that we've gotten off college football. So 
you know, just really cool player. And so I definitely look forward to seeing him play next year, whether it's at Ball State or if he gets the opportunity to transfer elsewhere. So, anyways, y'all, the final score to kick us off on Maction 18 to 17, Miami of Ohio, as they now become ball eligible and they are headed down to the Bahamas. And guys, for our final game that we have of Maction of the entire year, which pains me to say, but this game had a lot of implications in terms of the uh, MAC championship game as we had the Bowling Green Falcons going to Athens, Ohio to take on the Ohio Bobcats. And for Ohio, they needed to win this game if they wanted to clinch a spot in the MAC championship game. And, well, you could tell they were thinking about this the entire game as the Ohio Bobcats offense would just roll over Bowling Green this entire game. Um, despite not even having their starting quarterback, he was out with an injury. He's out for the rest of the year. So they would heavily rely on their running back, Bangura, who would have 27 carries for 96 yards rushing and one touchdown. Their offense was electric. Their defense was really good. And, well, they were able to clinch that spot in the MAC championship game as Ohio Bobcats would go on to beat the Bowling Green Falcons 38-14 to as Ohio. They now improved to 9-3 and on the year. And I think, honestly, right now should be the favorites to win the MAC championship game. And then for Bowling Green, they fall to 6-6. Six and six. You know, they're still ball eligible, so they will be going to a bowl game. Not the Bahamas, though, so Miami, Ohio fans, at least you have that reserved. But anyway, great win for Ohio as they clinch themselves a spot in the MAC championship game up in Ford Field in Detroit. And, guys, that would wrap us up for Tuesday's slated games and our final week of Maction games. It truly pains me to say because I love Maction, and hopefully next year, it lives up to the hype that we got this year because there were so many great Maction games. And, you know, kind of just to get back into our week of college football, it would only continue to get even better as we're going to go to Thanksgiving Day as we had one of the one of the more underrated rivalries in all of college football, the Egg Bowl, as we had the Mississippi State Bulldogs taking on the Ole Miss Rebels. And there was a lot of controversy that went on this week regarding Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. There was an Ole Miss Mississippi State beat writer that sent something out saying it's being reported that you know Lane Kiffin was going to step down on Friday and take the job at Auburn. Lane Kiffin shut that down immediately, so I can only imagine that got a lot of players you know really down and then pumped up at the same time. And you know for Mississippi State. They already clinched the bowl game. You know, they're not really fighting for anything ranking-wise. They're just really – I think the biggest thing for Mississippi State in this game was the fact that they wanted to be able to knock off their rivals, especially up in Oxford. So, anyway, though, in this game, there was a ton at stake for the Ole Miss Rebels as their head coach, Lane Kiffin, like we just talked a little bit about just a second ago, was rumored to be going to Auburn this whole entire week. And, you know, he even said it on Twitter, he's not leaving, yada, yada, yada. We, we've heard it, you know. So many times before by head coaches that end up leaving, you know, most previously Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley to USC. So, you know, in this game, if they won nine times out of 10, he might stay potentially. Or if they lose, most likely it's going to be his last game coaching the Rebels, depending on if, you know, he wants to stay for the bowl game or not. And well, in this game, both offenses were pretty solid. Now, it was downpour of rain. I mean, it was really slick conditions with the football. And, you know, you could obviously tell a ton in this game. As both teams tried to really run the football a lot, obviously Ole Miss, their strong suit is running the football. And, well, you know, they just so happen to have the best freshman running back in all of college football in Quinshawn Judkins, who, you know, I, I know a lot of people aren't thinking about this, might potentially transfer out if Lane Kiffin does leave for Auburn because you have to remember Quinshawn was recruited by Lane Kiffin go to Ole Miss majorly. So just something to kind of think of. But anyway, in this game, Quinshawn, he would have 22 carries for 91 yards rushing and zero touchdowns on the day. And that would be really it for rushing-wise. Zach Evans, the TCU transfer and former five-star recruit, he would have zero rushing yards on the day. Zero. He had five carries 
His longest was four yards, obviously. You got to count in the negative uh, negative runs and everything like that. Um, and then for receiving for Ole Miss was absolutely horrendous in this game. All their wide receivers could not hold on to the football to save their life. Jonathan Mingo, who has been one of the better wide receivers in the SEC this year, he had at least two or three really bad drops, one being a wide-open touchdown when, you know, now when you look at the final score, would have given Ole Miss the win. But anyway, on the day, Ole Miss, they would have a total of, let me do my calculations real quick, they would have 257 total passing yards on the day. Jackson Dart, the starting quarterback for the Ole Miss Rebels, who yet is another transfer that came over to Ole Miss via Lane Kiffin, you know, the former USC quarterback and Gatorade High School Player of the Year. He would go 30 for 38, 250 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Now, statistically, when you look at that, it's not bad. And even watching the game, he really did not play that bad a lot of those incompletions were due to the fact that the ball was slick the wide receivers gloves were you know gloves were very slick because of the rain or they just simply got a whole stick of butter from thanksgiving rubbed it all over their gloves and just refused to be able to catch a dang football now a ton of credit needs to be given to mississippi state's defense because they absolutely you know they knew what Ole miss was going to do in this game obviously looking at weather it kind of makes it obvious they're going to run the football like crazy and well mississippi state they limited that like crazy in this game. Despite three turnovers in this game by Mississippi State, one being a uh, interception by Will Rogers and two of those being fumbles by Will Rogers, they still were able to maintain, you know, great position in this game in terms of not falling behind a ton. Now, there were a lot of calls in this game that you can say were very subjective to Mississippi State, one being a quote-unquote backwards pass from Jackson Dart to his running back or I think it was a wide receiver which they would later, you know, later call a just a fumble because yes technically when it's going backwards it is a fumble but when you watch the replay it it, it honestly it it should have just been called an incomplete pass but you know once again a lot of credit needs to be given to Mississippi State and their defense as they absolutely would go off in this game they very much limited Quinshawn Judkins which I know 91 rushing yards like they didn't limit him at all but considering how much of a freak this kid has been the past few weeks and just this whole season in general I mean currently right now on this season Quinshawn Judkins he currently has let me look real quick at my statistics 1300 rushing yards in his true freshman year in the SEC mind you yeah, I would say he's pretty darn good. So Mississippi State, their defense deserves a lot of credit. Their offense was nothing special in this game. Will Rogers, 27 for 39, 239 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. And then obviously the two fumbles we just talked about. But when it mattered the most, Will Rogers and this team, they would come up clutch. Well, let me take that back. Their defense would come up clutch. As there was a very questionable end to this game as Lane Kiffin, after they would get a 99-yard touchdown drive to get the game to a two-point game, which obviously 24-22, the Ole Miss Rebels would burn two timeouts in order to figure out what play call they wanted to do on their two-point conversion. Now, mind you, there was a minute and 20-something seconds left in this game. You have three timeouts left. You still could have another chance at getting the football back because of those three timeouts you still have. So, you know, burning one already was bad enough. But then you go out and you go burn a second timeout, which just costs you the game and makes it to where you have to make this two-point conversion. And what what in your and probably, you know, for anybody that didn't watch the game, you're probably wondering, oh, it's probably a run up the middle, got a jumbo package, everything like that. Uh, you'd be wrong. Lane Kiffin called a shovel pass, tried to do what Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs do so darn well in the NFL, and it absolutely failed. A Mississippi State defender would tip it, and that would be game. 
Ole Miss would fail the onside kick, and then Will Rogers and the Bulldogs would kneel down for the rest of the game. As Mississippi State, they go into Oxford, they get the upset win over their rival in the Egg Bowl game to wrap us up here on Thanksgiving night. As Mississippi State, they would win 24-22 to over their uh, over their arch, I mean literally arch rival Ole Miss, who was 20th ranked, mind you, and I honestly thought should have won this game. And there were a lot of moments where Ole Miss they should have, they just shot themselves in the foot. And I think a lot of this you can put back on coaching too, because it just seemed like this team was very deflated. And obviously, all the news and you know speculations that's been going on the past week likely did not help that case whatsoever. But anyway. Mississippi State, they might have beaten Lane Kiffin in what might have been his final game coaching the Rebels. As earlier this week, there was that rumor that said on Friday, Lane Kiffin would announce his, or he would have fully announced officially that he'd be heading to Auburn. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens from here on out, especially for this Ole Miss team. But Mississippi State, great win. Mike Leach finally beats Lane Kiffin. And that wraps us up on Thursday. We only had one college football game here on Thursday. Hopefully here in a few years when Texas goes to the SEC, we'll finally get the Lone Star showdown between A&M and Texas back. But anyways, y'all, since now we're done with Maction games, we're done with our Thanksgiving game, now let's get over to Friday as we officially kick off our weekend of college football. So instead of so instead of all of our games just being on Saturday, we got two games on Black Friday and then obviously on Saturday. And to kick it all off on Friday, we had some really darn good games. And especially in our noon slate, we had some really good games. And to kick us off in our noon slate, we had the 19th ranked Tulane Green Wave, who have one of the most underrated defenses in all the country, and obviously the best defense in the American Athletic Conference, traveling to Cincinnati to take on the 24th ranked Cincinnati Bearcats. Now, for me personally in this game, I had to go Cincinnati. I like the fact that it was being played up there in Cincinnati, which obviously home field advantage is a very much real thing in college football and just any sport in general. But I did like Tulane's defense. I really did, which is what made me not want to go against the Green Wave. But I just felt, okay, this is a perfect scenario for an absolute, you know, just upset, right? I mean, Tulane, they got all this hype going, yada, yada, yada. They blew out SMU last week. So going into this game, I know they were not going to underestimate Cincinnati. But I felt, okay, maybe the Bearcats can catch them on their heels. And, well, in this game... It would be entirely about the run game as both Tulane and Cincinnati would put up a total of 200 rushing yards apiece. And well for Tulane, they might have the best group of five running back in the nation in Tajay Spears. As Tajay Spears, he ran all over this Bearcat defense as he would have 35 carries on the day, 181 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns. He was pretty much the the motor that made this Tulane offense work because passing game wise there really wasn't a lot of passing in this game you know both for Tulane and for Cincinnati which did not have their starting quarterback Ben Bryant so they had to go with their backup Evan Prater who actually is from the area in Cincinnati so but in this game both quarterbacks were very average to say that Evan Prater he made his first career start for the Bearcats and well it probably went about as good as most people would have thought 10 for 26 102 yards passing zero touchdowns and one interception but the Bearcats you know like I talked a little bit about with Tulane they were also able to run the football pretty darn well as all three of their eligible running backs in this game would put up 50 plus rushing yards with Prater himself the quarterback having 83 and then Montgomery having 95 of his own and two rushing touchdowns to add on top of that and you know honestly this Tulane defense did a really good job of not letting Cincinnati make any of those big explosive plays that we've gotten so used to seeing but for Cincinnati the biggest thing they needed to do was prevent Tajay Spears from being able to make all those big plays we saw you know against SMU and weeks previous and while Tajay Spears he just was unreal in this game. He only had a long of 25, but even then, he was just so dominant throughout the course of this game as Tulane would get the huge win on the road up in Cincinnati, 
27-24 over their American Athletic Conference rival. And, you know, not only was this game just huge because, hey, it's probably going to set them up to get to a New York Six Bowl game, it also allowed Tulane to clinch into the American Athletic Conference Championship and they also will have home field advantage as they will be able to play the American Athletic Conference Championship down there in New Orleans. So big time win for the Green Wave as they're able to beat Cincinnati up in, you know, up in Cincinnati, which was a sold out crowd. That's not an easy environment to play in. So really good win for the Green Wave as last year they finished their regular season 2-10. and 10, Obviously did not go to the Conference Championship. And now here in 2022, they're able to wrap up their season 10-2, and two, you know, vice versa. And now they're going to be heading to the AAC conference championship and also will be able to play that at home down there in New Orleans so once again great great way for a great win for the two-lane green wave as we kicked off all of our Black Friday action but the next game that I want to talk about we're going to go over to the Big 12 so we're going to go over to the Power 5 as we had yet again another big time conference game which Texas they needed a win against Baylor they still needed Kansas State to lose to Kansas on Saturday but first they needed to beat Baylor at home on senior day and, well, I mean, really emotional game. Obviously, a lot of that Texas team is mostly seniors. They've been there through the whole Herman area, obviously there at the beginning of the Sarkeesian era. So this game really meant a lot to a lot of the seniors. And, you know, it really meant a lot to the whole running back room because Bijan Robinson, who's a projected first-round pick in this upcoming year's draft, likely played his last game at DKR down there in Austin. And boy, oh boy, did this game start off really rough for the Longhorns as Baylor. They would get off to a quick 9-0 start after Quinn Ewers had a boneheaded pass where he threw the ball in the pocket inside of the end zone to literally nobody would get called grounding, which would give Baylor the safety. And then right after that, Baylor, they would throw the football all the way down the field and score a touchdown on top of the Longhorns. So quick 9-0 start for the Bears, but... The Longhorns, they did not quit, which is something we kind of got used to do. Kind of got used to them seeing, as they put up 14 points in the first quarter. Or yeah, in the first quarter, and then at halftime, Baylor would actually be leading Texas 19 to three. But in the second half, you know, Texas they made a buttload of adjustments that they should have made in the first. And the biggest one, and one of the things that killed them in that big time game against TCU was the fact that they just refused to run the ball. They needed to quit being fancy with play calling, quit trying to do all these you know, screen passes, play actions, and whatnot. Just run the ball to Bijan Robinson. Give it to Roshan Johnson. You know, give them to your two best players on offense. And they finally learned, hey, that's what we need to do. And in the second half, that Texas offense just absolutely exploded. And most notably, Bijan Robinson and potentially his final game as a Texas Longhorn, he absolutely exploded as Bijan Robinson on the day would have 29 carries for 179 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I mean, I was, you know, watching this game, I was already thinking of ways that I'm going to need to talk about, you know, how this was very similar to the TCU game. So the first half was very reminiscent to the TCU game in terms of how the offense played. Quinn Ewers struggled a lot, but his offensive line was really banged up. He got sacked or hit, pressured, whatever. He got hit a ton in this game. But, man, in the second half, they made the right adjustments. And for a team that's always struggled in the second half this entire year, they finally got that good, strong second half that they really needed in order to keep their Big 12 championship game uh, hopes alive. And then also Roshan Johnson. The senior running back who you know originally started his career as a four-star quarterback coming out of high school, tra you know transitioned over to running back, a position that he would actually see playing time with, and he had himself a great senior day, 13 uh, rushes for 77 yards rushing, and then two rushing touchdowns as well. And then Quinn Ewers, who did not have a rushing touchdown this entire season until this game against Baylor, where he finally got into the end zone for his first rushing touchdown of the year, but he also did accumulate negative 48 yards rushing in this game, so... 
it's kind of like an eye for an eye in aspect because you got the one rushing touchdown, but you also had negative 48 rushing yards on the day. And then for Quinn Ewers passing the football, 12 for 16, 194 yards passing, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. You know, nothing too flashy, but man, oh man, did that run game really get going in the second half. And boy, oh boy, did they definitely need it, but huge props. Huge props to that Texas defense for definitely stiffening up in the second half as they only allowed Baylor to score eight points. And this Texas defense got seven. I can't even talk. This Texas defense had seven tackles for losses in this game, six quarterback hurries, and three sacks as well. And then, in my opinion, one of the more underrated linebackers in all the nation, Jalen Ford for the Longhorns, who I think easily should be in contention for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He had himself an amazing game, 13 total tackles with two tackles for loss. I mean, he just absolutely went off in this game. And then for Baylor, you know, coming off a really disappointing loss against TCU last week up there in Waco, a game that they easily could have won if they did not shoot themselves in the foot. And well, very, you know, very similar situation. You know, they get this big time lead going. You know, obviously a lot of momentum's going their way, but in the second half, they just start to crumble piece by piece by piece. As Blake Shapin definitely did not really look good again. Once again, 18 for 36, 179 yards passing, two touchdowns, and then one interception. But there were a lot of underthrown balls, which has kind of seemed to become a regular for Blake Shapin, which is very unfortunate. But also like kind of going a little bit back to the Texas uh, Texas defense, the biggest thing is could they stop the run, the running offense of the Baylor Bears? Could they prevent those big-time plays that Baylor got against TCU last week? And boy, did they do exactly that, as Baylor would only have a total of 101 rushing yards on the day. And then uh, uh, Richard Reese, who I think is going to be definitely one of the few bright stars, especially the running back position, you know, here the next year or two in college football. He was held to only 54 rushing yards on the day, so really good job by that Texas defense, which has absolutely stepped up compared to where they were at literally a year ago. So anyway, Texas, they would be able to hold off the Baylor Bears and would have a really strong fourth quarter as they would send off all of their seniors on a great win. And I mean, man, if this was the final game Bijan Robinson played with the Texas Longhorn decal on his helmet, what a way it was for him to go out. As Texas, they would go on to beat their Big 12 rival, the Baylor Bears, 38-27. to As Texas, they now improve to 8-4 and and will finally be going to their first bowl game under Steve Sarkeesian. And for the Baylor Bears... You know, they're currently on a two-game or three-game losing streak. They fall to six and six after being a preseason top ten team to start the year. So this year absolutely did not go to the way that I think a lot of Baylor fans wanted it to. You're still gonna make a ball game, so at least there is that. You will have a postseason. But for Texas, you know, this game may have been over, but there were a lot of hopes, and you know, they had one team they needed to root for, and I don't think a lot of Texas fans would have imagined this. They had to root for the Jayhawks on Saturday against their rival, the Kansas State Wildcats, because if Kansas beat Kansas State. Texas will be able to get a rematch against TCU in the Big 12 championship game. So we'll talk about how that game went a little bit later, but really good win for the Longhorns over the Baylor Bears as they finally would be able to keep their Big 12 championship hopes alive. Now, guys, for the next game that I do want to talk about here on Black Friday, we're going to go to our uh, midday slate of games. So, you know, 2.30 and all that. And the first game I want to talk about, we're going to go to the ACC as we had a, the battle for North Carolina between the North Carolina State Wolfpack taking on the 17th-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, as we all know, both of these teams preseason had amazing – or not preseason. Both of these teams, for the most part of this year, had amazing offenses, right? You know, when Devin Leary was starting for the Wolfpack, they were really good. And then, obviously, 
the Tar Heels got themselves a star, at, you know, star freshman quarterback in Drake May, who was a Heisman contender until about last week's loss against Georgia Tech. But they still have that really dynamic offense that includes guys like Joshua Downs, who's one of the top wide receivers in the ACC, let alone the country. And then also, you got Drake freaking May, who's going to give you about 300 passing yards a game. And, you know, well, in this rivalry game, things were already pretty interesting to start off. As NC State, you know, they've dealt with a ton of injuries this season, you know, whether it's on the defensive side of the football or the offensive side of the football. And, you know, most notably for the Wolfpack, it's been their quarterback room, which has been so banged up because, you know, they had to go down to Jack Chambers, and then, then they had to go down now to their scout team quarterback, Ben Finley, in this game, who is the younger brother of former NC State great quarterback uh, Ryan Finley. And, well, Ben Finley and his first ever action of his college career, I mean, this kid at the beginning of the year probably never imagined he would even step onto the field, you know, actually throw a pass or do anything like that, even when they're playing, you know, their cupcake games at the end of the year, middle of the year, you know, whenever NC State plays their games. He absolutely went out and balled out in this game. You know, coming in as an emergency quarterback, he played pretty darn well. 27 for 40, 271 yards passing and two touchdowns, and with no interceptions as well, which was huge. I mean, I think, honestly, in their bowl game, they probably will start Ben, ben Finley once again. I mean, he played electric against this NC State team. And I know NC State, they do not have one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, you can look statistically at every category and everything like that. It'll speak for itself. You know, they're not that great against the pass. And obviously, it showed in this game. I mean, they let a scout team quarterback throw all over them. Carter for the Wolfpack, uh, who actually led the team in receiving yards in this game with 130 and one touchdown as well. Not only was the offense really good in this game, which I thought was going to be really one of their weaknesses, their defense, which I had expected to play pretty darn well, they played pretty good in this game as well. I mean, they were all over Drake May in this game. They only had two sacks, but the biggest thing is that they would have nine tackles for losses and 11 quarterback hurries on the night. I mean, this defense of NC State is so underrated. Now, obviously, they've gotten exposed a little bit these past few weeks against Louisville last week, for example, but they're still a really solid unit. they got a lot of veterans on their defense. And, I mean, man, did it really showcase in this game. And for North Carolina, their offense just did not look the way it was supposed to. I mean, statistically-wise, wasn't their worst game. I mean, Drake May definitely did not play that great in this game until, you know, right before overtime. And in overtime, he played pretty solid as Drake May. He would go 29 for 49, 233 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. He really struggled in the first half, struggled a little bit in the third quarter, but definitely towards the fourth quarter and on that last drive that North Carolina had, he looked really good and looked like the Drake May that we had saw pretty much the whole entire season. And then for running-wise, Eric Green, or sorry, not Eric Green, <laughs> Elijah Green, the starting running back, he would have a pretty solid game, 24 carries for 83 yards rushing and one touchdown. And then, you know, I talked a little bit about they've got to get Joshua Downs going. Joshua Downs. Unfortunately, a lot of the passes he got were overthrown, including one that would have been the that would have originally been the game tying touchdown. As Joshua Downs on the day would have six receptions for 51 yards receiving, didn't get a touchdown. Should have had a touchdown, but Drake May overthrew him just a tad bit. And you know, well, this game got pretty interesting because North Carolina they originally were able to get into the end zone when Drake May tossed it to his tight end, but after review, the ball apparently touched the ground, which I still think was kind of a fluky call. But anyway, they'd get one more play with two seconds left in the game, and Drake May would put it into the end zone, and then we go to the first overtime. North Carolina gets the ball right away. They're not able to get into the end zone. They kick the field goal. NC State, they get the ball. They're looking pretty good, but North Carolina's defense, they come up clutch and stop them and then get the field goal. Now, going to the second overtime, and now when you get into second overtime, you know if you score a touchdown, you have to go for two. 
um, NC State on their first drive. They're not able to get into the end zone, so they kick the field goal. And then North Carolina, they come in now, and they get down the field, but unfortunately they're not able to get that first down, so they have to go for the field goal. And, well, their kicker, who had already missed one from pretty short range earlier in the night, he would absolutely botch the kick to the left of the uprights. As NC State, they get the upset win on Black Friday against their in-state rival, North Carolina, which was a huge win for them and huge momentum boost. 30-27 as a Wolfpack. They finish off the regular season 8-4 and four in North Carolina. They now finish their year 9-3 and three on a two-game losing streak. And, you know, North Carolina, obviously, they're one of the biggest worries they're going to have is next week when they go to Charlotte to take on Clemson, which after watching this game, that may not be that pretty of a game to watch. And, I mean, We'll talk a little bit about that when we do our preview for uh, Conference Championship Week. But anyway, great win for North Carolina State as they're able to take down North Carolina in the Battle of North Carolina. I mean, honestly, all the injuries, everything like that, that this North Carolina State team, they were able to persevere through it all. You know, obviously, past few weeks have been a little bit rough, but they finally got, they finally got right back into it with a great win over their in-state rival. Now, guys, for the next game I want to talk about in our midday slate of games, we're going to go back to the SEC, or I don't even think we talked about the SEC, but our first game of the SEC for this weekend as we had the Arkansas Razorbacks going out to Columbia, Missouri to take on the Missouri Tigers. Now, I don't think a lot of people realize this. Technically, since this rivalry begun, Missouri's owned Arkansas. Arkansas's only won four games, I think, compared to Missouri's eight. So going into this, it's been heavily Missouri. Now, I picked Arkansas because I felt, okay, they've got K.J. Jefferson back. He's fully, fully healthy. They've got Rocket Sanders at running back. The defense, I know they're allowing a, a, a just an immense amount of points, but they still have Drew Sanders. They didn't have Bumper Pool in this game. He was out for the rest of the year due to a hip injury. So that was a big thing that definitely hurt him a little bit on defense. And also another thing. Arkansas was missing a decent amount of secondary guys too, so they had to go with a lot of young, young, uh, young backups, and it definitely showed in this game because Brady Cook, the starting quarterback from Missouri, who I did not think was a mobile quarterback by any means, he showcased the speed as well as the arm. As in this game, Brady Cook would go 16 for 26, 242 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions, and that's not even his best stat line. He was able to run the ball with on 18 carries for 138 yards rushing with one touchdown as well. And also Missouri's lead back, Schrader, he would have 18 carries for 87 rushing yards and a touchdown as well. I mean, Missouri's offense, they were clicking pretty much the entire game. It was mostly in the first half, but despite that, they played super well in this game. Uh, love it, who... Oh, let me look real quick. He is a he's a he's only a sophomore. Okay, so he's also from East St. Louis, which the five-star wide receiver uh, Luther Burden. He's also from East St. Louis. So this Missouri team has a really good young core of wide receivers in Lovett, who just had a 130-yard receiving game against the Razorbacks. Luther Burden, who got his third straight game with a reception touchdown. He didn't have any crazy statistical game, only 30 receiving yards for one touchdown. But Missouri is building something special up there in in Columbia. I mean. Eli Drinkwitz is doing something really special with this Tiger program. And, you know, to talk a little bit about, you know, the Arkansas offense in this game, very underwhelming to say the least. There were a lot of three and outs, a lot of just a lot of missed opportunities. K.J. Jefferson statistically did not look that bad. 20 for 27, 212 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. 
but that one interception that we do have on his stat line would really be the difference in this game. I mean, once they had that, once they had that interception, kind of the momentum just immediately switched to Missouri. Uh, and also a big thing for Missouri is their defense, which once again I talked also about when I was talking about the preview with this game between Arkansas and Missouri was the fact that Missouri gave Georgia a run for their money when Georgia came up to Columbia. I mean, and then also Missouri went out to the other Columbia over in South Carolina and then beat the Gamecocks, who just blew up the scoreboard against Tennessee not even a week ago. So, you know, this Missouri team is really underrated. I know their record is not going to show it. You know, they went to this game 5-6. and six. They needed a win to be able to go to the bowl game. And I guess that really inspired a lot of these guys. It was senior day as well, which you add on top of that, it's going to kind of give them another initial boost of kind of energy and momentum and you know motivation to want to win this game. And that's exactly what Missouri would do in this game as they would hold off K.J. Jefferson and the Arkansas Razorbacks 29 to 27 as Missouri they finally are able to they're going to go bowling if you're a Missouri fan you're going to go bowling as you now sit at 6 and 6 to end the regular season and then for Arkansas man what a disappointing season it truly was as you now fall to 6 and 6 I mean Arkansas should have been competing in the SEC West. Now, obviously, you've got your Alabamas, you've got your Ole Misses, you've got all of those teams, and obviously, Arkansas, they got that great win at home last week against Ole Miss, but now they went on the road, they got tested against a really solid Missouri team, which obviously, record does not show it, but seriously, when you look at just the full roster they've got, all the young players they've got, the recruiting class that they're bringing in, I mean, heck, I've interviewed a few Missouri 2023 commits and what they're doing up there in Columbia seriously is not getting talked about enough so watch out for the Missouri Tigers here in the next few years to be back to their old like 2013 ways when they were going to SEC championship games so anyways a good win by Missouri to wrap up the year as they now are bowl eligible with a 29 to 27 win over their in or over their uh, in-conference rival the Arkansas Razorbacks who they're currently 9-4 and four against all time so Missouri might be the rightful owner of Arkansas, as we're seeing right now. So, <laughs> But anyways, y'all, the final game that we did have in our mid-slate of games here on Black Friday, we had the Battle of Arizona, as we had the Arizona State Sun Devils traveling out to Tucson to take on the Arizona Wildcats. Now, this game had no bowl implications. Both teams were already not going to make a bowl game. They both were, you know, they both had already had over six losses on the year. Arizona State, they had eight. Arizona, they had seven. But obviously, this is a big-time game in Arizona and is one of the more gritty and more rough rivalry games in all of college football. And it's showcased in this game as we had Sparky, who's the mascot for the Arizona State Sun Devils. And then we had Wilbur, who's the mascot for the Arizona Wildcats. Both were throwing sucker punches at each other in this game. Uh, <laughs> I think Arizona State's mascot was taken a little bit serious, and I think he was honestly kind of ticked off a little bit at Wilbur and I think Wilbur almost lost his head in that video too y'all can go look it up for yourselves but really funny game but you know actually you know now that we're talking a little bit about the game Arizona they're running back Wiley he went off against the Sun Devils in this game 12 carries for 214 yards rushing on 12 carries and then to make it even better he had three rushing touchdowns as well I mean, Arizona State could not stop this man, even if they put a full, full-blown full brigade right in front of him. I mean, they were not stopping this man at all in this game. Um, and, you know, also Arizona State's offense was not bad at all. Uh, Borgay, who I think is their second-string backup, 
he had played pretty solid in this game. Outside of throwing two interceptions, he would go 37 for 49, 376 yards passing with three touchdowns, and then those two interceptions we just talked about. They also were able to run the ball pretty darn well. Valade, he would have 24 carries for 97 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well. But ultimately, it would be Arizona State that would get the last laugh in this pretty physical game between the two teams. As Arizona, the biggest difference would be the fact that they would recover six fumbles off of Arizona State in this game. And yes, you heard that right. Six fumbles in this game would be recovered by the Wildcats as they would beat their in-state rival, the Arizona State Sun Devils, for the first time since 2016, 38-35 as Arizona. They now end their 2022 season 5-7. And, and I think Coach Fish, he's going to do something really good with Arizona. I don't expect them to be you know, contenders for any big-time bowl game or potentially competing in the Pac-12. But I do think they could potentially get back to the 7-5, and five, you know, 8-4, and 9-3 and three Arizona Wildcats that we saw early on in the 2010s. And then for Arizona State, you know, obviously you fired um, Herm Edwards early on in the year and just all the whole, you know, sanctions, NCAA sanctions and, and investigation and everything going on right now in Arizona State. It's kind of a wildfire, but I think if you're a Sun Devil fan, you're glad the season finally wrapped up. And obviously, losing to Arizona definitely does leave a little bit of a little bit of a thorn in you because you really want to win this game. But overall, you really kept it down to the wire. But you finished the year three and nine, and you're just looking forward to 2023 and you know seeing who the new head coach is going to be of the Sun Devils going forward. So. Anyways, y'all, the final game that we did have here in our midday slate of games, we're going to go over to the Big Ten as we had a pretty interesting matchup between the Nebraska Cornhuskers going over to Iowa City to take on the number one team in the Big Ten West. And yes, you heard that right. The number one team in the Big Ten West, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who going into this game were sitting at 7-4. and four. Yeah, 7-4. and four. Sorry, I was trying to, trying to think of the records and everything like that in my mind. And in this game, you know, Nebraska got some pretty good news pregame. Matt Rule, the former Baylor head coach and obviously former Panther head coach, he was rumored to pretty much be almost near an agreement with Nebraska to become their next head football coach. So obviously pretty exciting times going on up there in Lincoln, Nebraska. And what seems like the team, when they heard that, they started to play pretty darn well as to start off the game at halftime. Nebraska would lead the Hawkeyes 17-0. to Casey Thompson looked really darn good in this game. Started to get a lot of glimpses glimpses of him during his Texas days. 20 for 30, 278 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And Trey Palmer, who I honestly think is very much a dark a dark horse Belenikoff candidate. As in this game against the Iowa Hawkeyes, Trey Palmer, he would have nine receptions for 165 yards receiving and two touchdowns. He would also have a TD catch or a long TD catch of 87 yards to kick off the game. And, I mean, it pretty much was just Nebraska, Nebraska's game from point A to point B throughout this whole entire thing. Iowa, they would start to score some points in the second half as they had put up 17 of their own, but they would just be too little, too late as the Nebraska Cornhuskers go into Iowa City and knock out any chance of Iowa being able to go to the Big Ten Championship. Now, Iowa was, Iowa was in a very similar boat to Texas, right? You know, their fate relied on one team, and for the Iowa Hawkeyes, it relied on if the Purdue Boilermakers would be able to go into Bloomington, Indiana, and beat the Indiana Hoosiers. Now, we'll talk a little bit also about how that game went on. So, yes, yes, I know, gripe all you want. We'll talk a little bit later about how that game went. But anyway, guys, that would wrap up our midday slate of games here on Black Friday. But to finish it all off, we had one of the best rivalries in all of college football as we had the Florida Gators going to Tallahassee, Florida to take on their arch rivals, the Florida State Seminoles. Now, it's kind of weird because normally 
it's always going to be a Florida-sided game, right? You know, Florida's got all this talent, yada, yada, yada. But it's kind of weird seeing, you know, Florida be the underdogs in this game, right? Because Florida State going into this game, they've been on a super hot spree. They blew out Syracuse a few weeks ago. You know, they've been able to pretty much dominate all their opponents. I mean, they had a three-game losing streak in the middle of the year to Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. But after that point, they've won four straight against Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, and then last week they beat Lafayette. So going into this game, would they be able to continue, you know, how great the run game has been? That's the biggest thing for Florida State, you know, not trying to get too fancy, just simply run the football. And, you know, well, in this game for the Florida State Seminoles, their veteran quarterback, Jordan Travis, probably had the game of his life. I mean, whether it is, you know, collegiate ball, high school ball, or eventually if he plays pro football, Jordan Travis just absolutely showcased to the whole country why he deserves to get out a lot more recognition. And I feel like if Florida State right now did not have three losses on their record, he might even be considered for the Heisman Trophy. Now, don't get it twisted. Jordan Travis is not the most effective thrower by any means. This is in this game against Florida, he'd go 13 for 30, 270 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. But the biggest thing of Jordan Travis's game is the fact that he's able to get out of the pocket and make a play because in this game, he had about two or three highlight reel just escapes getting out of the pocket. I mean, there was one play where he broke about four or five tackles, two of them which should have been sacks. I mean, two guys literally had him in full grasp and he just broke away from them and just gave this Florida State team life on offense and you know to make it better I mean he didn't only he didn't have to do a solo effort because Trey Benson the former Oregon uh, running back whose career was almost shut down due to a severe knee injury he suffered at Oregon you know he transferred to Florida State was pretty much third on the depth chart the whole year and these past few weeks has really emerged as one of the you know future stars here in college football and in this game against Florida, Trey Benson had arguably one of his best games collegiately so far. I mean, Florida State had a lot of guys that just showed up when it mattered the most. Trey Benson was definitely one of them as he would have 20 carries for 111 yards pass or rushing and three touchdowns on the day. And, you know, when I say he truly gave this Florida Gators defense just a ton of fits trying to get him down, I mean that legitimately because they just absolutely could not get him down in this game. And, you know, on the flip side for the Florida Gators, in the first half, their offense looked absolutely amazing. At halftime, Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson has only completed five passes for about 145 yards passing. So he was five for seven for about 145 yards passing and already had three touchdown passes going into half. I mean, it looked like this was going to be an absolute shootout, which it did turn out to be. But, I mean... When I tell you how horrendous he was in the second half, I mean, he only completed four more passes the rest of this game and didn't even complete the first pass in the second half until about midway through the fourth quarter. It was just not a good second half for Anthony Richardson and this Florida offense as Anthony Richardson on the day would go 9 for 27, 198 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. Now, don't get it twisted. This kid still has all the talent in the world. He has so much potential. If molded right and if developed right, I think he could potentially be an NFL quarterback. I mean, obviously his play style is very similar to guys like K.J. Jefferson and Cam Newton. You know, the real big body quarterbacks that are, that are you know, not going to slide to get you the first down. You know, they're going to go head first. And, you know, also for this Florida Gator team, their, you know, their play style is very similar to Florida. Run the football. And, you know, for Florida, they were missing half of their wide receiver core in this game. They're missing about four or five wide receivers that normally would get playing time. So they had to heavily rely on the run game. And then Trevor Etienne Jr., the former four-star running back out of the 2021 class, 
man did he come in clutch for the or 2022 class and man did he come in clutch for the Gators today 17 carries for 129 yards rushing and one touchdown truly showed a lot of glimpses to his older brother Travis Etienne you know the former Clemson running back who's an absolute college legend and then currently is playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars and I mean, when I say clutch, I mean, he was just able to get a lot of the yardage that they needed. Obviously, didn't get him the win, but still was a very, very, very good running back in this game. And then also, too, Johnson Jr. for the Florida Gators running. Had 17 carries as well, similar to Trevor. 85 yards rushing and one touchdown. So running the football was not a problem for this Florida Gator, you know, Florida Gator team. The major problem was the penalties because when we look at stats and we look at how many penalties they had total in this game, they had 10 penalties for 91 yards total, so about a football field in length. That's You're not going to be able to win a football game. This team had every opportunity to, to be able to escape this game with a win, but they kept shooting themselves in the foot, whether it was the little mistakes, whether it was the missed throws by Anthony Richardson. But, I mean, this game easily is a game-of-the-year candidate. I mean, definitely, I think, honestly, might have probably is easily a top five game of the year I mean this game was just this this game really revitalized the Florida and Florida State rivalry game which has been lacking the past few years you know both teams haven't been on their a game but this year Florida State's starting to really get things going under Mike Norvell and after winning this game they sit at nine and three and I think honestly they probably should be in the uh, ACC championship game over North Carolina I mean considering North Carolina they lost at home to a injury riddled NC State team and nothing against NC State but that in, that North Carolina team had no reason to lose, let alone to Georgia Tech, but then lose to their in-state rival when they're on their scout team quarterback and they made him look like a legitimate all-American quarterback. So anyway, Florida State, this team is really good. I'm hoping they get into a pretty good ball game. I know they're definitely going to skyrocket a little bit in rankings. And this Florida team is still really good. I mean, they have a great recruiting class coming in next year. My uh, Billy Napier is doing amazing things in terms of the recruiting world. You know, he flipped Jaden Rashada from Miami over to Florida, which is going to give him his future at quarterback. So overall, this was a really fun game to watch. If you loved offense, this was the absolute game for you. And in my opinion, this was one of the top games of the weekend. And also on top of that, one of the top games of the year as the Florida State Seminoles, they come up clutch at home and beat their arch rival, the Florida Gators. 45 to 38 as Florida State they wrap up the regular season nine and three I still feel like they should have been able to go to the ACC championship game but when you have Clemson in your division it's a little bit harder to get there but for the Florida Gators they wrap up their year six and wrap up their regular season six and six as they will be headed to a bowl game obviously a lower bowl game but still first year Billy Napier going to a bowl game still pretty solid considering you know a lot of his guys haven't even come in yet so overall this was just an absolute great way to wrap up Friday slate of games I mean this was I mean I just can't put into words just how fun this game was to watch like this if, I mean if you ever want to know why people love college football so much literally replay this Florida and Florida State game because the atmosphere at Dope Campbell was amazing just the energy the intensity the authenticity of it which is something you don't necessarily always get in the NFL so anyways Florida State they knock off their arch rival the Florida Gators 45 to 38 as we wrap up now all of our action from Black Friday now guys as you all know we're now done with Tuesday, we're done with Maction, we're done with Turkey Day, we're done with Black Friday. So now let's get to our main day of games, and obviously this was a huge day of games. In terms of rivalry games, we had the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. We had the game between Michigan and Ohio State. We had TCU trying to remain undefeated against Iowa State, who, despite sitting at 4-7, and seven, is a sneaky good team that has one of the top defenses in all of the country. So, But to kick it all off, like you always know, we're going to start talking about our noon games first, and... I mean, obviously, the biggest one of them all, 
we're going to talk about to kick us off here on Saturday is going to be the Michigan Wolverines traveling to Columbus, Ohio to take on their arch rival in, this, in one of the best rivalry games in all of sports, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, prior to this game, Michigan had a lot of uncertainty, especially at the running back position because their Heisman hopeful running back, Blake Corm, you know, he suffered a pretty serious knee injury against Illinois the week prior, but right before game time, they would announce that he would play, obviously, in a little bit less of a role. And, you know, they really didn't even need Blake Corm in this game as J.J. McCarthy, the former five-star quarterback who, you know, the one of the biggest question marks for him this whole year is can he throw the deep ball and can he throw it accurately? And I would definitely say in this game, J.J. McCarthy shut down a lot of haters and, you know, definitely proved me wrong as well because I thought, man, Ohio State's just going to run away with this game. Obviously, J.J. McCarthy's going to struggle throwing the football, but he did the absolute complete opposite of that as J.J. McCarthy on the day for the Wolverines. He would go 12 for 24, 263 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And his favorite weapon in this game was senior wide receiver Cornelius Johnson, who absolutely had the game of his lifetime. Four receptions for 160 yards receiving and two touchdowns in this game. Both of those touchdowns would be passes of over 50-plus yards. I mean, him... And J.J. McCarthy were absolutely connecting in this game. And, you know, if y'all are probably wondering, you know, how did the run game go, right? You know, they didn't have Blake Corum, so they were going to have to go with their backup. And Donovan, um, my bad, almost completely forgot his name, Donovan Edwards, the sophomore running back, he absolutely tore up this Ohio State defense in the second half. And when I mean tore it up, I mean he had the last two touchdowns of this game, which were both 50-plus rushing yard touchdowns, as Donovan Edwards would have once again the absolute best game of his lifetime 22 carries for 216 yards rushing with two touchdowns which both pretty much sealed the deal for Michigan against their arch rival the Ohio State Buckeyes and for Ohio State in this game you know they still didn't have Travion Henderson who's still out with an injury and that definitely was a huge impact in this game as their run game was pretty much slim to none yes they did have 143 yards rushing on the day but you could tell definitely not having that also to factor into the receiving game Hurt them a ton because they couldn't keep going back and forth, you know, having a star running back, then going to your star wide receivers in a Mecca Egbuka, and then Marvin Harrison Jr., who likely will win the Blinikoff Trophy because both Mecca and Marvin, they both put up insane stat games. Both had over 120 yards receiving. Mecca would have nine receptions for 125 yards receiving and one touchdown. Marvin Harrison, he would have seven receptions for 120 yards receiving and one touchdown. But C.J. Stroud, you know, a lot of people who – Myself included, probably thought it was going to be the Heisman favorite right now, you know, just largely due to the fact that nobody else has really stood out. You could say Max Duggan of TCU, you could say Caleb Williams of USC, but really kind of the clear-cut favorite at the point was C.J. Stroud of Ohio State, and this was definitely going to be a big proving game for C.J. Stroud, and, you know, outside of a few passes he made, he really struggled in this game against this Michigan defense, so a ton of credit needs to be given to Michigan for the way that they were able to get a ton of turnovers also off of C.J. Stroud as they would force two interceptions off of him in this game, one being the game-sealing touchdown. That would lead to a Donovan Edwards long touchdown rush as the Michigan Wolverines go into Columbus, Ohio and upset their arch rival, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 45-23 to in one of the more surprising games of the year. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I thought it was going to be completely vice versa. I thought Ohio State would be doing this to Michigan. But, I mean, what a game. What a game for John Harbaugh now. As he, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on between him and Ryan Day towards the end of last year, the whole third base quote that Ryan Day used or that John Harbaugh used and well I think John Harbaugh pretty much backed it up in this game as Michigan they now improved to 12-0 and and will be heading 
to the Big Ten Championship game as they still had to wait and see who they'd be playing in the Big Ten Championship game as they would have to wait a little bit to see if Purdue would beat Indiana. And then for Ohio State, you know, they fall now and get handed their first loss of the year. They fall to 11-1, a game that <clears throat> I think many people, myself included, really thought they should have won. Now you could say, yes, the running back room being really banged up had a lot to do with it. But at the same time, they just shot themselves in the foot over and over and over. And, well, Michigan... They absolutely took advantage of that and rolled with it as now Michigan. They're going to be remaining in the college football playoff. Ohio State's, champ, uh, Ohio State's chances of even staying in the college football playoff are very slim. There's still a chance, but are very slim. They're going to have to wait and see how the Big Ten championship game goes and just a lot of other games go throughout next weekend and conference championship week. So, anyways, y'all, I mean, just what a way it was to start off our college football Saturday. Obviously, one of the biggest rivalry games in all of sports. Did not disappoint as we got one of the biggest stunning, you know, just results that I think all of us expected. Obviously, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest stuns of the entire weekend. So, anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about here in our noon slate of games, we're going to go over to Clemson, South Carolina, as we had the battle for South Carolina between the South, Car South Carolina Gamecocks, who were coming off a huge upset win at home against the fifth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. And now in this week, they're going to have yet another top 10 matchup as they're going to be on the road in Clemson to take on the 8th-ranked Clemson Tigers. And this game started off really wonky for South Carolina. Spencer Rattler would immediately throw a pick six on South Carolina's first offensive possession of the game. So things were not looking good for the Gamecocks as after the first half, they would be trailing 14-0 to Clemson. And, you know, I knew many people, myself included, that thought, okay, this game is going to absolutely be a wrap. Spencer Rattler's going back to his old ways, and, you know, Clemson is just going to run off with it. Will Shipley looked really good in the first half. And, well, the second half was a completely different story as DJ Ugalele, his, his struggles just continue to mount on top of each other and on top of each other. And I fully expect DJ to be gone. He's going to transfer out, absolutely. I think next year, Dabo Sweeney has to make the executive decision to go with Cade Klubnik because no offense to DJ, there just hasn't been any type of progress so far that we've really seen that says otherwise. And you know why they should not go with the really talented freshman five-star quarterback next year at least. As on the day, DJ Ugalele would go 8 for 29, 99 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Not the ideal stat line that you're going to want from your starting quarterback, especially a former five-star quarterback who had such a bright freshman year during the COVID season. Will Shipley looked pretty good as well, 15 carries for 132 yards rushing one touchdown. But outside of that, this was just a really sloppy game on both sides of the football. But Clemson's secondary just could absolutely not stop the throwing attack of South Carolina. They looked very much like how Tennessee looked last week. You know, they did get two interceptions on off Spencer Rattler, but in the second half, Spencer Rattler showed a lot of improvement, started making a lot more smarter decisions with the football, and that really helped carry the South Carolina team to the upset win over the Clemson Tigers. At South Carolina, they get a huge, and I mean just a huge upset win on the road against the Clemson Tigers, 31-30, to as not only do they take Clemson's playoff chances and completely smash it under their foot, they also get bragging rights for the state of, of South Carolina, at least for another year or so. I mean, just back-to-back -back weeks with two top 10 wins. I mean, just what just what a end of the season has been for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And, I mean, what a monumental end of the season has been for Spencer Rattler, who, you know, during the beginning of this year and towards the middle of the year, looked like his career was possibly going to be over. I mean, I doubt any NFL team would take him. They might take him due to all the talent he had coming out of high school and all that hype, but... 
you know, definitely didn't look like he would, def- he would get drafted at least, you know, probably an undrafted type of guy, but he's definitely helped build his draft stock up definitely a little bit. I think he still has a year left of eligibility, so hopefully next year him and Shane Beamer and this whole entire South Carolina team can get things going. And, you know, they still do have a bowl game to play, so that'll be interesting to watch and see who they do play. And as you all know, we'll have a preview episode talking about each individual week of bowl games once that time does come around. But anyways, y'all, we're going to head back over to the SEC as we had the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets taking on the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs down in Athens. Now, we all expected, and myself included, this was going to be a blowout win for the Georgia Bulldogs, right? They're going up against the Georgia Tech team, who is currently on their, I think, third-string quarterback, if I remember. I think Zach Gibson is their third string. But, you know, regardless, this is a team that Georgia, who has one of the top defenses, not just in the SEC, but in the whole entire country, they should absolutely demolish this team. And, well, things are getting kind of interesting to start this game off as Georgia Tech would go right down the field and score a touchdown on Georgia as Georgia Tech would actually lead after the first quarter 7-3 over the Bulldogs. And I remember, you know, looking at my phone when we're going when I was going to the TCU Iowa State game and I was telling myself, there's no possible way we're about to see Georgia Tech upset yet another top 25 team, let alone the number 1 team in the nation at home too. And, you know, I think that was exactly, you know, what kind of lit a fire in Georgia. I think they realized, oh, shoot, we still want to remain number one, especially after seeing what Michigan was doing. Yeah, we really need to step things up. And, you know, Stetson Bennett, who started out really slow, especially in the first half, they just got things going as they would put up 27 in the second half. Stetson Bennett, his final stat line on the day, 10 for 18, 140 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And, you know, a ton of credit needs to be given to Georgia Tech for what they were able to do in the first half as Georgia would only lead the Yellow Jackets 10 to 3 or 10 to 7, my bad. So overall, you know, a lot of things you can build on as Georgia Tech, right? You know, you're still looking for, you know, your full-time head coach. Obviously, Deion Sanders likely is not going to be that guy, so you're still looking for your next guy. You saw Matt Rule get uh, hired by Nebraska. But, I mean, I think Georgia Tech, they have a lot of really good pieces and, you know, if coached properly, I think they could potentially be a secretly good team in the ACC, you know, kind of similar to what Duke was this year. So, but anyway, Georgia, they would get a big, not big time win. They would get a really good win against their in-state rival Georgia Tech, 37-14 to as the Bulldogs. They remain undefeated as now they're going to prepare to take on the LSU Tigers, who got upset in Aggieland. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, for Georgia, they're getting ready to go for the SEC championship game against LSU, which that should definitely be a fun game to watch regardless. But a great win for Georgia as they now wrap up this season for the second straight year undefeated. And now, guys, for our final game that I want to talk about here in our noon slate of games here on College Football Saturday, we're going to talk about the West Virginia Mountaineers going to Stillwater, Oklahoma to take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And, man, just what a downfall it's been for the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the second half of this 2022 season. Because going into their undefeated matchup against the TCU Horned Frogs, you know, both teams were both 5-0 and and, you know, battled the unbeatens and, well, really disappointing loss as they would lose in double overtime. And ever since then, they had lost three out of their last five going into this matchup against West Virginia. One of those being that really embarrassing blowout loss up in Manhattan, Kansas, where they got blown out by the Wildcats 48-0. They lost Spencer Sanders in that game. He was gone for a few weeks. And we'll hear on senior day. Things didn't get that much better. Spencer Sanders, who got banged up last week against Oklahoma, would not play in this game. So Garrett Wrangle, the freshman quarterback out of Frisco, he would actually get the start in this game. 
And he looked like a true freshman. I mean, just a horrible game offensively, especially when it came to passing the football, as uh, Garrett would go 18 for 42, 178 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and zero interceptions, and would end the game with a QBR of 12.2. Yeah, not the most ideal situation if you're Oklahoma State for your quarterback play, considering this is a passing offense for the Pokes. And, well, they would have to run the football a ton in this game, and they actually did run it pretty decently. Ollie Gordon, a freshman running back uh, out of Texas, he would have 17 carries for 136 yards rushing and one touchdown. And on the flip side for West Virginia, it, they just utterly dominated the run game in this game. As uh, for them, their lead rusher would be freshman running back Jalen Anderson out of Ohio. He would have himself his best career game so far, 15 carries for 155 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And that would really be it in terms of West Virginia offense because they they didn't throw the football worth a darn in this game. Only 77 total passing yards in this game. I mean, just this game was really lackluster. The weather was really cruddy. It was pouring rain up in Stillwater. Very slick conditions. And, well, Oklahoma State, they would now drop their fourth game in their last six games as West Virginia. They go into Stillwater and spoil Oklahoma State's senior day. 24-19 as West Virginia. They now improved to 5-7 and seven on the year. I still think they'll fire Neil Brown. I think they're just going to want to look towards the future. I've heard a lot of rumors about Rich Rodriguez returning home, which I think that would be pretty funny if he does. And then for Oklahoma State, you know, what was a really promising start to the year? You know, 5-0 start to the season just became an utter disaster towards the end, whether it was injury-related coaching issues. You know, Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, has received a lot of criticism this year, and rightfully so. There's been a ton of very interesting play calls you know, a lot of play calls would actually, which which lost the Cowboys the game against TCU. Because if you watch that game, they dominated in the first half, but they got away from what allowed them to get that huge lead. And there's another reason why they're finishing the year seven and five instead of you know ten and two and competing for the Big 12 championship, like a lot of people thought, and myself included. So. Anyway, West Virginia, they would wrap up our noon slate of games by getting a 24 to 19 win over the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, y'all, we're going to talk about our afternoon slate of games. And, man, did this slate just not disappoint whatsoever. And to kick it all off, we're going to go, to, we're going to go down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, as we had the Iron Bowl between Auburn and Alabama, who is seventh ranked and still has, somehow has a chance at getting into the playoffs despite losing to LSU down in Death Valley and then also losing against the Tennessee Volunteers, which were both two Really tough road losses. I mean, obviously playing in Knoxville is not easy, and especially playing down in Death Valley on primetime is never easy whatsoever. And in this game, Alabama, their offense got back to normal, you know, their normal uh, characteristics, if you want to say that. They started playing like the Alabama of old, and we saw Bryce Young return to his Heisman Heisman character, so to speak, as Bryce Young would go 20 for 30 on the day, 343 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. He looked a lot better, was really mobile, obviously, threw the football pretty darn well in this game, was spreading the ball absolutely amazing in this game as he would connect with, let me just count it real quick, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine different targets in this game. So a really good job by Bryce Young for spreading the football around. And then in the running back game, you know, Jameer Gibbs, who's been really banged up the second half of the season. He would have 76 rushing yards on the day for one touchdown. And, you know, Alabama, they would get the win 49-27 to over the Auburn Tigers. But this Auburn team, to wrap up their year, showed so much promise going into this 2023 season. I mean, Robbie Ashford, who is not by any means a top-throwing quarterback. Now, he did make one incredible pass into the corner of the end zone 
can't remember what quarter and everything like that, but it was a really good touchdown pass, which would be his only touchdown pass of the game as Robbie Ashford would go 11 for 23, 77 yards passing with one touchdown and no interceptions. And he left the game with a, a QBR of 91, so not bad whatsoever. But the run game for the Auburn Tigers, which I think is going to be their major strong suit going into 2023, absolutely showcased in this game as Jaquez Hunter would have 11 carries for 134 yards rushing. The backup to Tank Bigsby, who I think is starting to take over that uh, number one spot right now for Auburn. I know Tank Bigsby is still the running back one, but definitely has died down a tad bit. And then Robbie Ashford, the dual, dual threat athlete. I mean, he played baseball and football at Oregon before transferring to Auburn. And I think he, I don't know if he still does play baseball for Auburn, but in this game against the Crimson Tide, Robbie Ashford would have 17 carries for 121 yards rushing and two touchdowns. But ultimately, despite a pretty solid offensive game for the Tigers running the football, it would just not be enough against their rival, the Alabama Crimson Tide, as Alabama gets a huge Iron Bowl win, 49-27. to As you know, they're not going to be competing for an SEC championship game. You know, Georgia and LSU were already, already secured their spots in that game. But for some reason, Alabama is still alive in terms of making the playoff. And it's going to be a really interesting week next week and seeing, you know, if the certain circumstances fall where LSU beats Georgia, USC falls in the Pac-12 championship, TCU falls in the Big 12 championship game, we might potentially see Alabama jump back into the playoff despite being a two-loss team. So, anyway, great win for the Crimson Tide as they beat Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Now, y'all, for the next game that I do want to talk about, we are going to go up to Corvallis, Oregon, as we had the Civil War, a.k.a. the Battle of Oregon, between the ninth-ranked Oregon Ducks taking on the 21st-ranked Oregon State Beavers. Now, for Oregon State, their biggest problem this year has been quarterback play. They haven't had any type of consistent quarterback play. They've been rotating a ton of quarterbacks this year. They would go with they would go with Goldbrason in this game, and he didn't even really play that good at all. Six for 13, 60 yards passing with zero touchdowns but and two interceptions. Finished the game with a 12.3 QBR rating, which is not good whatsoever. I mean, you don't have to be a genius. That is not a good quarterback rating. But the run game of the Oregon State Beavers was what would truly keep them in this game. Despite being down one point in this game, 31-14 to to the Oregon Ducks. I mean, their offense, you know, despite losing in this game... Bo, Bo Nix, their starting quarterback, he played really good. 27 for 41, 327 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, he did everything he could to make sure Oregon had a chance in this game. The run game was also pretty solid. Noah Whittington would have 81 rushing yards with one touchdown. Bucky Irving with 52 of his own. And then also on top of that, uh, Chase Coda, I don't know why I almost forgot his name. Chase Coda, the grad transfer out of UCLA, he had one of his best career games in this game. Nine receptions for 136 yards receiving and one touchdown. But some of the issues that would come for the Oregon Ducks team would be on special teams as they would fumble a punt. And that would give Oregon State the ball back on their one-yard line. And ever from that, and ever since that point from that game, pretty much the momentum would go right back to Oregon State as they would just run the ball so darn effectively in this game. A total of five rushing touchdowns in this game. They also have a freshman running back by the name of Damian Martinez who would rush for 103 yards in this game. And I think he's going to be a future star running back in the Pac-12. And definitely one of the, you know, I honestly, you could probably say in all of college football, I know I keep saying that about plenty of running backs, but college football is just so loaded with running back talent. And I truly do feel like Damian Martinez is going to be that guy for the Oregon State Beavers going forward. But 
Oregon State, they'd be able to hold on against this really good Oregon team at home, eliminating any chance of Oregon making it to the college football playoff, and also unfortunately eliminating any chance that Bo Nix still had of being able to get the Heisman Trophy. As Oregon State, they pull off the upset at home up in Corvallis, 38-34 to over the Oregon Ducks as Oregon State. They now improve to 9-3 and on the year and to finish their year 9-3. and One of the best seasons they've had in recent memory. And then for Oregon, this season now falls to 9-3. and The regular season falls to 9-3. and And, you know, their hopes of even making the Pac-12 championship game relied on the Wazoo Cougars. Yeah, if you're an Oregon fan, not a team you really want to rely on, but... I mean, there was still was a chance. You know, they were playing up there in Pullman. They needed the Cougars to be able to beat the Washington Huskies, and we'll talk a little bit later about how that game would go. But, you know, for Oregon, their hopes are not over. They still have a chance at winning the Pac-12 championship game if they're able to even get in. You know, USC, they already clinched their spot, and you know, it was kind of a weird three-way race into seeing who could get that second spot into the Pac-12 championship game. So, anyways, y'all, the next game that I do want to talk about here is in our afternoon slate, I mean, this was just an amazing day filled with college football games. We're going to go up to the Big Ten as we had the Michigan State Spartans, who this week had just had seven other players get filed with charges for that whole incident that happened up in Michigan, one of them actually getting a felony charge. So not a great week if you're a Michigan State fan. And then also it was rumored, too, that the head coach of Michigan State, Mel Tucker, who got a huge contract extension in the you know the offseason after having a great year last year, with the Spartans, you know, being able to win the, uh, I think it was, was it the Sugar Bowl, or it was one of the major New York Six Bowl games against Pitt. And, well, the rumor that happened was the fact that he gets a $100,000 bonus, right, for some game check or something like that. And he's able to spread it amongst, you know, all of his coaching staffs and everything like that. Or he has the option to keep it all to himself. And you can guess he kept it all to himself. And it's not a good look. And yes, I know it's a buttload of money. But at the same time, he already has a huge contract. And a lot of that money would help change a lot of his coaches' lives on top of that. So not a good look for the Michigan State program, even after on top of the whole tunnel situation in Michigan. But anyway, to this game as they would play the 11th-ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, Sean Clifford looked like a Heisman contending quarterback in this game. I mean... We haven't really seen this good of a uh, Sean Clifford performance in a while as Sean Clifford on the day would go 19 for 24, 202 yards passing with four touchdowns and zero interceptions. It was pretty much darn perfect in this game against this really weak Michigan State uh, pass game. I mean, they could not stop the, uh, the Lions whatsoever in terms of the of passing the football. <laughs> And then for Michigan State, their woes continued on offense as Peyton Thorne, who was supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year, has continued to just struggle immensely. 24 for 43, 229 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception as well. In the run game, which everybody thought was still going to be a strong suit of the Spartans, you know, they went out and got Jarrett Broussard, the former Colorado running back who was supposed to be Kenneth Walker 2.0. And, you know, real quick, when we look at Jarrett Broussard's uh, you know, final statistics here in the 2022 campaign. Only 292 yards rushing and three touchdowns for a guy that was supposed to replicate what Kenneth Walker did last year. As you all know, Kenneth Walker's tearing it up for the Seattle Seahawks right now in the NFL. Just a really, and I mean really disappointing year for the Spartans who had all the talent in the world, were expected to have all these big-time wins, big-time games, and yada, yada, yada. 
just simply did not live up to the hype as Penn State, they would go on to blow out the Michigan State Spartans 35-16 to up there in Happy Valley. As Penn State, they ruined any chance of Mel Tucker going to a bowl game. As Michigan State, they needed to win this game. They went to the game 5-6, and six, had one chance left, and they blew it as they now finish the 2022 season 5-7. and seven. And Penn State... They now improved to 10-2 on the year, and unfortunately, they're in the same division in the Big Ten with teams like Michigan and Ohio State, so unfortunately, it's really hard for them to get into the Big Ten championship game while you still have teams like Iowa and Purdue who have a chance every single year because they're in one of the weakest subdivisions in all of college football, and yes, I said that, one of the weakest subdivisions in all of college football, so anyway, good win for the Penn State Nittany Lions as they wrap up their regular season. And finally, y'all, to wrap up our midday slate of games, we're going to talk about one of the bigger games that we had in the Big 12 this weekend as we had the Iowa State Cyclones, who have the top defense in the Big 12, despite their record being 4-7. and seven. You know, they've lost six of those games by one possession or less, so still a really solid football team going on the road to Fort Worth to take on the fourth-ranked TCU Horn Frogs. And while this game was never close to begin with, TCU led after the first quarter 24-0 as the offense was clicking on all cylinders. Max Duggan continues to keep his Heisman hopeful race alive. I mean, honestly, right now, I know we'll talk a little bit later about why Caleb Williams deserves to be Heisman. But I think, honestly, Max Duggan deserves to get a real good looking at in terms of being able to win that Heisman Trophy for what he's been able to do with this TCU Horned Frog team. As Max Duggan on the day would go 17 for 24, 212 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. So nothing statistically crazy, but just, I mean, oh my goodness, did TCU have Iowa State's number on defense this entire game. And it just was never close as TCU would go on to absolutely destroy the Iowa State Cyclones 62-14 to as TCU. They now finish off the regular season 12-0 and for the first time since 2010 in which Andy Dalton led the Horned Frogs to a Rose Bowl victory. And then for the Cyclones, they now finish their year 4-8 and after what should have at least been a little bit better of a season, you know, make a bowl game. No one expected them to be contending for the Big 12. You know, they lost Brees Hall. They lost Brock Purdy. They lost all three of their starting tight ends. I mean, this was not going to be an Iowa State team that was going to contend for anything other than potentially making a bowl game. And in this game, I mean, their quarterback play was horrendous. Hunter Deckers, 12 of 24, 106 yards passing with one touchdown and one pick six interception. And then to make matters worse, worse their backup quarterback betched he would have 65 passing yards on the day with one pick six as well. I mean, it was just, if you were an Iowa State fan, you probably shut off this game after halftime because it just, it got ugly. And even in the second half, TCU would put up 28 more points. And the only reason why there's 14 points in this game scored by Iowa State was because of a garbage uh, garbage time uh, touchdown by uh, Iowa State running back Silas. So, Outside of that, TCU, they controlled this game. They continue to prove why they are deserving of being in the college football playoff. And they're going to have a really interesting matchup next week in the Big Ten Championship game. And we'll talk about who they're going to be playing here in just a sec. But anyway, great win for TCU as they wrap up their regular season undefeated under their first-year head coach, Sonny Dykes. Now, y'all, that'll wrap up all of our afternoon games, midday slate of games. So now let's get to our night or evening slate of games. And we did have some pretty good games. And to kick it all off, one of the best rivalries in all of college football, we had the 15th-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish going on the road to Southern Cal to take on the 6th-ranked USC Trojans. And will Caleb Williams continues to prove why right now he is the Heisman favorite. 
Caleb Williams on the day against the Irish would go 18 for 22, 232 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. And not only was he able to get it done through the air, he also was able to get it done through the ground as well as Caleb Williams would add on three rushing touchdowns in this game on 35 yards rushing. I mean, just what a game for Caleb Williams overall. And then also, too, USC, their transfer running back from uh, Stanford, Austin Jones, he would have himself a great game as well, putting up 154 rushing yards of his own. It just This was just such a dominant game for the USC Trojans, being able to run the football. You know, their big thing has always been throwing the football. You know, you got Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, you know, all these super talented wide receivers. But one thing that doesn't get talked enough about with USC is how good their backfield is. Austin Jones being a Stanford transfer, Darwin Barlow being a TCU transfer. You know, you already have guys um, – like Travis Dye, the Oregon transfer, you know, he's still out for the rest of the year, unfortunately, but just such a stacked backfield. And then for the Notre Dame Irish, Drew Pine played a pretty solid game up until the end where he would throw the game-sealing interception as Drew Pine on the day would go 23 for 26, 318 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. So not a bad game by any means from Drew Pine. He played pretty solid. But seriously, at the end of the day, no one's going to remember you in this game other than that interception that cost Notre Dame a chance at even coming back in this game. Michael Mayer, who one of the greatest tight ends in Notre Dame history, eight receptions for 98 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And outside of that, they just really would not get, get anything going You know, on offense. The run game only had 90 yards rushing, which these past few weeks has really started to become more of Notre Dame's strong suit is running the darn football. And what did they not do that much in this game? run the football as they only would have 26 carries total in this game for the Irish, which I know a lot of Irish fans are kind of left scratching their head. You know, why did we not run the football more against a USC team that gets the ball run all over them most of the time? So a lot of question marks were left in this game, but USC, they ultimately would come up clutch, cl not clutch, they would come up clutch in this game against their rival, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, as they now have pretty much solidified themselves to get a spot into the college football playoff as USC they go on to beat Notre Dame 38 to 27 as USC they finish up their regular season 11 and 1 as now they're going to wait and see who they play in the Pac-12 championship game and then for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish they now wrap up their year 8 and 4 had a really good stretch towards the end of the year obviously losing this game stings a little bit but seriously a lot of momentum going forward into the 2023 campaign under the second year head coach and Marcus Freeman so some really exciting times are coming for Notre Dame. They've got a great 2023 recruiting class coming in next year. And, I mean, the future is literally bright, pun intended, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So, anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about here in our evening slate of games, we're going to go out to Aggieland, a.k.a. over there in College Station, as we had the fifth-ranked LSU Tigers taking on the Texas A&M Aggies. Well, couple weeks ago, I was just randomly thinking on the couch, doing some thinking about some of these college football games, looking at the schedules, and I saw this game. LSU going down to Kyle Field, primetime matchup last week of the year. A&M has had a really disappointing year. Now they're taking on an LSU team who's been hot as of recently. You know, got a really good win against the Ole Miss team at home. Got a really good win against the Alabama team at home. You know, all this momentum is going LSU's way. But they're going to play down in Kyle Field on a primetime game in front of a 105,000 stadium capacity crowd. You know, really made me start to wonder, could we potentially see the Aggies upset the Tigers? Now, for me, being stubborn, I decided to go with what I thought was a clear-cut favorite, the LSU Tigers, right? What they're able to do with Jaden Daniels in the run game, 
I, you know, should have been no issue for them to win this game. You know, the offense of A&M, after seeing what they did against UMass last week, just looked horrendous. But then I gotta remember, oh yeah, Devon A. Chain returned in this game. And I didn't even consider that until I watched the game and I saw him absolutely go off against this LSU Tiger team as Devon A. Chain, who was the workhorse of this A&M offense, would have 38 carries on the day for 215 yards rushing with two touchdowns and truly just helped lead this A&M team to this upset win over the Tigers. Connor Wigman, the freshman quarterback, who showed a lot of talent and a lot of, and a lot of promise in that game against Ole Miss a few weeks ago, struggled the past few weeks but finally got back into his rhythm in this game as he would go 12 for 18, 155 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then on the flip side for the Tigers, well, things just simply did not go their way in this game. Way too many penalties, way too little many mistakes. Um, the defense, for some reason, was not able to stop this A&M offense, which normally has been able to get stopped by a lot of teams. I mean, A&M had not put over 30 points at all this season over any team, just over any team, not even UMass. So the fact that LSU's defense allowed them to score over 30 on them, not a really good look. Jaden Daniels, 21 for 35, 189 yards passing on the day. Didn't get a touchdown, didn't get an interception, but overall played pretty well considering half the game he was running for his life. He also was able to do pretty good running the football, as you could all guess. 12 carries for 84 yards rushing. And just outside of that, not a lot of offense is going on for this LSU team. Now, there was a controversial touchdown call towards the end of the game in which the LSU wide receiver caught the football. You know, he caught it inbounds, but when he was falling out of bounds and he hit the ground, he dropped the ball, fumbled it. They said it was incomplete. You could have gone either way. I think the rule, when you look at it distinctively, it probably should have been ruled an incomplete pass. But, you know, common sense-wise, everybody would probably call it a complete pass. But other, other than that, A&M, they controlled this game from start to finish. I mean, the Aggies, they just looked really good. Also, Jaden Daniels had a really costly fumble, which I think was truly the momentum buster in this game. You know, they had just tied the game up 17-7, to or 17-17, to and Jaden Daniels just carelessly holding the football, gets swiped from him. A&M scoops it up and scores, and, the, and when I tell you that crowd over there at Kyle Field absolutely erupted, it absolutely erupted as A&M, they would go on to get the upset against the fifth-ranked LSU Tigers at home, 38-23 to as A&M, they now wrap up their 2022 campaign at 5-7, and they're going to miss a bowl game, a good way to finish the year in what was a really disappointing year. And then for the Tigers, they now wrap up their year 9-3. and They're going to be playing the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC Championship game, in which I think will get pretty ugly. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our preview for Conference Championship Week. But other than that, I mean, not a lot of positives to take out of this game for LSU. Whether it's just coaching mistakes, little mistakes, I mean, just overall mistakes are what killed LSU in this game. And that's why they, were, that's why they got upset against the Aggies, a team that – you know, I personally thought they should have been able to beat, but they let them stay in this game, and you let A&M stay in that game, they're going to be able to give you a lot of fits, and it definitely showed in this game. Now, y'all, for the next game we're going to talk about, we're going to go over to the uh, Sunflower State. As we had the Sunflower Showdown between the Kansas Jayhawks and the 12th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats, and a lot was at line in this game. You know, the Kansas Jayhawks were able to beat the Wildcats, Texas would be able to go to the Big 12 championship game, right? But the biggest problem was the fact that Kansas had to win on the road up in Manhattan. Yeah, Texas fans, the fact that y'all trusted this Kansas team to actually win against this Kansas State team, it's just funny to begin with. And then Kansas State, obviously, if they won this game, they would head down to Arlington to take on the TCU Horned Frogs next week 
in the Big 12 championship game. And well, for a team that's not able to run the de- or for the team that does not really have a good rush defense, and now they're going up against one of the best running backs in all of college football. Did not mix that well as Deuce Vaughn on the day would have 25 carries for 147 yards rushing and one touchdown on top of that. Malik Knowles, the starting wide receiver for the Kansas State Wildcats, he would have two rushing touchdowns of his own, which is kind of funny to say. But, I mean, this Kansas State team, they controlled the game from start to finish. They put up 23 points in the first quarter against the Jayhawks as Kansas State, they were able to go on to beat their rival in state 47-27 to as the as the Kansas State Wildcats, they finish up their regular season 9-3 and as now they're going to be heading next week down to Arlington, Texas to take on the undefeated TCU Horn Frogs in the Big 12 championship game. So sorry, Longhorn fans. You probably have seen Bijan Robinson in his final game wearing the burnt orange, which saddens me a little bit to say because I really wanted to see a little bit more out of him, but regardless. And then for the Jayhawks, such a promising start to the year, man. You know, started 6-0. and Everything looked like it was going to go amazing. And, well, they finished the year losing six straight games, and now they're going to be going into their bowl game hoping that they can finish a bye. Uh, I can't even talk. Now going into their bowl game, they're going to be hoping that they can win that bowl game, not only just to win their first bowl game in forever, but also to finish up a year where they were above 500 in what feels like forever. So a lot still aligned for Kansas in their bowl game. But overall, really good game by Kansas State as they continue to prove why they're one of the best teams in the Big 12 and why they are more deserving to go into the Big 12 championship game. Now, y'all, for the next game that I want to talk about, we're not going to really, like, in-depth break this this game down because, I mean, it was pretty much one-sided from the beginning as we had the 10th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers going on the road to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, I remember saying, oh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Vanderbilt get the upset. And for rightful reasons, right? You know, Vanderbilt, or not Vanderbilt, Tennessee on the road last week up there in, in Columbia, South Carolina, got absolutely demolished, right? Defensively, they just got demolished. They had no chance in that game whatsoever against the Gamecocks. And now they're going back on the road against the Vanderbilt team who was, uh, who was able to upset Florida last week at home as well. We saw what Florida was able to do offensively against the Seminoles on Friday night. So this game had all the makings for potentially an upset. And, well, I don't think Tennessee liked to hear that because they had two running backs in this game that would eclipse over 130 rushing yards apiece. Wright and Sampson. Wright would have 160 rushing yards. Sampson would have 131 rushing yards as they would eclipse a total of 362 rushing yards in this game for the Volunteers. You know, Hendon Hooker tours ACL against South Carolina, which was really tragic to hear. So he would be out for the rest of the year. Former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton would come in and be the start in this game. And nothing special, 11 for 21, 147 yards passing with one touchdown. Got what he needed to get done as Tennessee would go on to steamroll Vanderbilt up in Nashville, 56-0. As Tennessee, they finished the regular season 10-2, and just just barely missing the SEC championship game. And then for the Vanderbilt Commodores, they finished their year 5-7. and We're only one game away from going back to a bowl game. But, hey, the future is still bright up there for the Vanderbilt Commodores, at least in football. Obviously, baseball, you don't have to really worry about too much. You're always going to be good at that. But, you know, good win for the Tennessee Volunteers as they bounce back from a pretty embarrassing loss last week to Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks. And now, y'all, to finally wrap up rivalry week in the last regular season week here in the 2022 college football season. We had one of the more important rivalry games as well as this had a lot of Pac-12 implications in terms of who would make the Pac-12 championship game 
as we had Michael Penix Jr. and the 13th ranked Washington Huskies going on the road to Pullman, Washington to take on their in-state rival in the Apple Cup, the Washington State Cougars. And we both know both of these teams have really explosive offenses. Obviously, Washington with Indiana transfer quarterback Michael Penix. And then also for Washington State, who has their own transfer quarterback in incarnate word transfer Cam Ward. So we both knew or we all knew that there would be a ton of points scored in this game. Obviously, the football was going to get thrown around a decent amount in this game, and that's exactly what would happen in this game, as both Washington and Washington State would combine for over 800 yards passing in this game. I mean, this was the literal definition of an air raid game. Michael Penix Jr., the starting quarterback for the Huskies, he would go 25 for 43, 500 yards passing on the day, he had 485, but I'm just going to round up and give him the 500. Three touchdowns and one interception in this game. I mean, he was absolutely on fire. And if he had played this way the whole season, I think we, we would have had Michael Penix Jr.'s name in contention for the Heisman Trophy. And then for Cam Ward, also didn't play a horrifically bad game either, despite his offensive line having some struggles in this game. He would go 33 for 52, 322 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. But the Washington Huskies, they would be able to win the Apple Cup 51 to 33 over their in-state rival the Washington State Cougars as Washington despite winning this game they allowed Utah to go to the Pac-12 championship so the Pac-12 championship game is set we're going to have the USC Trojans taking on the Utah Utes in a rematch from earlier on in the year in which Utah knocked off and gave USC their only loss of the year and you know back to Washington I legitimately think they would have had a chance at the Pac-12 championship game if they did not have that stunning loss to Arizona State out there in Tempe. But overall, not a bad first year for Jalen DeBoer and the Washington Huskies. As I mean, What he's been able to do so far this year is absolutely amazing. And I definitely expect Jalen DeBoer to be a candidate for uh, Coach of the Year. So great win for the Huskies as we wrap up the, the 2022 college football regular season. Now we're going to be heading down to championship week conference championship week next weekend we'll be previewing all of that action in next week's episode so guys thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and recap of week 13 of the 2022 college football season guys if you did enjoy today's episode make sure you share it like comment rate do whatever you can just to make sure we continue to spread the cover seven podcast and guys i hope you have a fantastic rest of y'all's weekend and also make sure to check out nfl week 12 recap which will be coming out at tuesday at 12 p.m central time as well so Guys, I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you all eat plenty of food as well. And I will see you all back here on Tuesday as we recap NFL Week 12. So see you guys then. Have a great rest of y'all's day.